This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor, last week we had a riveting, the riveting story of the birth of not just one, but two baby goats. What do you have for us this week? <laughs> okay. More farm stories. Yes, more farm <laughs> stories. So, I've talked before about hatching goslings, yes. And in all of this talking, I've talked about how I have my Chinese geese and I have the American buffs. And the American buffs are my true loves. They were the ones that I wanted from the beginning, but they're very expensive and I didn't know anything about geese. And so, and Chinese geese, they're prolific layers, so they're very, a lot cheaper in geese numbers, prices, whatever. And so I was like, well, let me learn on the cheap geese first before I start killing any any of the expensive ones. So that's how I ended up with Francis and then the rest of them. And now I've got a few that I've hatched myself. They're adult, well, uh, juveniles really, but they're wandering around doing their own thing. And so starting about January, February is egg laying season, breeding season. And I really want more American buffs. I, I want to have a lot more of them. And but I didn't want to pay for them, obviously. So I was like, well, I'll hatch them myself. And so I got the first egg and I was so excited. Oh my God, they're laying one of them anyway. And I got all the way up to eight eggs and I made a mistake. I think I made a mistake. At that time, the four goslings that I had hung on to had been, I put them in the pen with the buffs because they're too young to start trying to mix and match with them. But at least that way they would be safe from predators at night. And they kind of bonded, I guess, more than I expected. This kind of came as a surprise to me. And at some point, they got to be big enough. I was like, they don't need to be in there anymore. It's too many for that amount of space. So I went and caught up the the Chinese ones and put them out. And this just caused no end of upsetness in the geese dynamics. Even to this day, I, I did rehome two of them, but I still have two left of those four. Even to this day, they hang around that pen where the buff America the American buffs are. And Every once in a while, because the latch on the pen is not very secure, the American buffs will get out, and immediately those two are back with their people again. Like, they are convinced that the American buffs are their family. And from the day that I kicked them out and said, you're big enough to go be free now, the American buffs have never laid another egg, any of them which is why I think I made a mistake. Like I upset them and stressed them out so much that they're just like, yep, we're done. And so I got eight eggs and that was it. And that was the, like normally 
the first eggs are kind of questionable. Like, are they even, a lot of people won't even hatch the first eggs because they just like, yeah, you're not going to get quality out of them. But I knew from chickens that, yeah, you can still, they'll still hatch. So I was like, from the very first egg that I got, I was going to put them in the incubator, but then they stopped laying. And I was like, this is all I've got is these eight eggs. And of those eight, six of them weren't even, I mean, two of them weren't even fertile. So now I was down to six. And then of those six, two of them like kind of took and then quit. So I was down to four eggs. And and that doesn't even mean that all of them are going to hatch. And I was like, ah, <laughs> no, this is not supposed to happen. So of those four eggs that I had left, three of them were on, went in earlier. And one the last one that got laid, I didn't think it was going to be the last one, but that's what it turned out to be, um, went in like two or three weeks later into the incubator. So the first three eggs went in there and ready, ready to hat to, into the, a hatcher. And one of them hatched completely fine all by itself. One of them I could tell was just not going to make it. It just didn't have that vitality that you're looking for, that activity. It was like, okay, that one's too weak. It's not going to make it. And that left one more egg. And I was like, oh, please, 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 please make it. And it started to hatch. And then just kind of, I wasn't sure. And finally, it made its way out, but too early, and it bled. And the thing about goslings or chicken, any of these guys, is they have very, very little blood to begin with. So losing just a little bit, that's like for us losing a pint or two. And if they lose more than just a tiny little bit, they just don't have enough to to make it. And so I, I saw the blood on the the. I, I don't say bedding, but it's like the stuff that I put on the bottom of the incubator that gives them traction. It's sometimes I'll use towels. Sometimes I use like micro terry, uh, microfiber cloths or whatever, just to give them something. And I saw that and I was just like, oh my God, this is not good. And so I, I was like literally pulling the little thing out of the incubator and like giving it little drops of water, little sugar water for energy. And then I, the food that I used to, to save Francis that one time says highly concentrated nutrition that you feed to like baby parrots or whatever. It's not good for geese long-term, but it's very concentrated. So giving it little tiny bits of that. And it's just like babying it along for two or three days. And finally it was just like, Hey, now I have enough energy to pick my head up. Hey, now I can find my footing. And eventually it lived. (laughs) So that's my, I saved it. So I have two, I have two of these American buff goslings and there's one more egg coming up that I hope makes it all the way to hatch. I don't know, but I got two of them, which shouldn't be such a big deal, but it is a big deal. It's a big deal to me. So now I'm just like, I'm going to be like bubble wrapping them, (laughs) keeping them inside until I just can't stand it any longer. Like if I lose them, I can't get any more for a whole nother year. So anyway, yeah, that's my gosling story. Oh, and I love hearing the stories of how long you're able to keep the geese inside before you just can't take it anymore. Because that those are always kind yeah, of fun that's there. You just just be glad that smell does not transfer over radio <laughs> transmissions. <laughs> All right, we are going to be talking about points of view. Uh, in this week's episode. And so a couple of weeks ago, we Taylor went into great detail about um, a film that she thought was very much like a book. 
and uh, how we could learn things from that. And the film was called Nobody. And there were there were a number of times you mentioned the way the character was able to be shown as a badass because of things that were seen through other people's eyes. For example, someone saw a tattoo on his arm, I think it was, and instantly just like said, yeah, I'm out of here and locked himself in a room. So he, he, something terrible wouldn't happen to him. But there were all these things where we were able to look into, um, look at a character through someone else's eyes. And at, at one point during the discussion, you said, and of course you can't do this in first person, or it's really difficult to do in first person. So I thought it would be kind of a fun, a fun discussion to, to, to kind of kick around some ideas of when you might want to use third person, when you might want to use first person, and why it's important to, to spend, actually spend some time thinking about that before you get 60,000 words into your project. That's a very fun topic, I think, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> find out if I have anything worthwhile to say on the subject. But I did just want to clarify that when I was talking about the um, that technique, I, it wasn't so much that you couldn't do it in first person, that you couldn't do it in a story with a single point of view. So slightly yes, different. Yes, you're right. Yes, but yes. You, you might be able to do it in first person. I don't know. Um, and so first person versus third person. So first person is, I did this, I did that, and third person is she or he, whatever, right? The, the, the different ways of doing it. And then there's, a, there's another one, second person, which is you do this, you do that, which is really hard to pull off and um, not very common. And I think most, it's still kind of viewed maybe as sort of, um, sort of artsy, on the edge, not, not really what you would find in just everyday genre fiction. It's pretty rare. So that's why most of the discussions usually are first person versus third person. I, I really do not know if there is a better way to do it, like one preferred over the other. I do know that there are some readers who do not like reading in first person and that it does not matter how good the book is or how tightly it fits to their preferred genre. If it's in first person, they just won't read it because they don't like it. I don't know what, I don't know exactly why that is. Um, obviously it's going to be unique to each person in their own preferences. And it's probably going to have to do with how their brains or their imagination interprets the, um, is able to convert the words on the page into images and whatnot. And it could be that when a story is told in first person, I did this, I did that, they just can't make that separation. And because it's something that they don't see themselves doing, it just kills the story for them. Whereas when they're reading it as somebody else, some other character and the she, he, whatever, puts that just a little bit more distance there and they're able to get into it. I have not heard the same thing from readers who just don't like third person and will only read first person, but that doesn't mean that those readers don't exist. But I would suspect that there are fewer that would have a hard time with third person because third person is more of a natural way of storytelling. You are telling a story about someone. And so when 
a person is telling their own story. It's sort of all about them. When you're telling a story of, in third person, even though it's the same exact story, it still has a little bit more of a buffer between the reader and the words on the page and the reader's own imagination, their own, um, I, I want to say envelopment, but that's not even the right word. I, I struggle to find the words that, that articulate this concept that I understand and cannot explain. But the point being that for some people, it's just too much to allow them to escape the reality, the barrier of um, dis- to to drop that disbelieving sense and to just fall right into the story. So I think knowing that I would personally just keep it in mind, like me, if I was setting out to write another story that would work with first person, I would be mindful of that. Do I do it in first person? Do I not? I have a story in first person that's not yet finished. And I think for me, the reason why I chose first person for that one and not for any of the others is a very personal story, not personal to me. It's personal to the character. Like it's this very real to them thing that just would feel too distant to me if it had been told in third person. And I have no regrets about doing that way. The, the story is not finished. I'll get to it one day. And I plan to continue it in first person. And that's just the way the story is. I don't have any qualms about that. But the story is single point of view. And I think that doing a first person narrative in a story with multiple points of view is a little trickier. And most of the stories that I write are multiple points of view. I think that, and this is purely my opinion, and I am just riffing off the top of my head, and I am totally willing to backtrack any of it if it's just off the wall. But I think that it does feel disruptive to me personally when I am reading a multi-point of view story, and some of the characters' points of view are in first person, and some are in third person. That bothers me. I don't know why. I'd have to think about it. I also find it a bit disconcerting when you have a multiple point of view story and each point of view is told in the first person. So my personal philosophy on storytelling and writing is to always try and present the story in such a way that is the easiest for a reader to fall into the story, become absorbed by the story, not get yanked out of the story by something that doesn't feel right or sit right. And that's where the the whole concept of grit and everything else comes from. And so if you're writing a story in which, which has multiple points of view and either all the points of view are told in first person or some are and some are told in third, I would personally really make sure that the reason that I'm doing it is because it serves the story. It's the best way of telling that story. If I'm doing it for a personal stylistic thing, or I I just wanted to try something in first person, that's the wrong reason. Because it's all about the reader. It's all about your audience, making it as easy for them to just be surrounded in this bubble of story and doing as few things as possible to pop that bubble. 
and switching um, to the tenses like that, not the tenses, the perspectives, I guess, that between first and third, that for a lot of people does pop the bubble. So my goal is always going to be as few of that, as little of that as possible. But other authors might differ. They might feel like they don't want to be same, same. They want to be different. They want to stand out. Uh, they get bored doing it the same way all the time. So they just have to for their own sake of being able to even tell stories. Everybody, every storyteller is going to be different. This is just my take on it of I would definitely be conscious of what serves the story best. And in the case of the one story that I've written that is told in first person, the reason it works, besides being very personal and, and to that character, is that it is a single point of view story. If it had been a multi-point of view story, I would probably not have done it, no matter how personal it was in in the storytelling sense, because of that bubble-popping nature of switching between first person and third person. So that's my riff on it, just off the top of my head. Okay, so this is like two questions in one. Um, when did you consider writing the the person the story that you wrote in first person? Did you consider writing it in third person with just a single point of view? Well, yes, of course. I mean, my natural tendency is to write in third person, so that's where I naturally would have started. But when I started hearing that character's voice in my head, which is a very strange thing, because I normally don't hear character voices at all. Like, I wish I did. Writing would be so much easier. But when the story started to come to me and I started to think of that character, that that feeling, because for me so much, like, I don't think in words. So much of it is how something feels, how those concepts come together as ideas. And all of a sudden there's a voice in there, an audible voice, and that voice is speaking in I, then I'm like, okay, this is the direction that this story feels, so this would be more right. And I, I think that I probably at one point did try with the opening chapter doing it as third person versus first person, and the first person just felt better. So that's why I went with that. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to do a first-person story or something. Mm -hmm. It just made it more intimate, more personal, more real. And so that's where I went. But I don't think that the same would have ever held true in any Monroe story, even the ones that are single point of view. They just, it would not work. You would be so up inside her head, so close to this monster of a human being <laughs> that it would make this terrifying character it just it'd be too much right so I, I don't think that i'm really articulating it well because i'm struggling for words but the that's close to the feeling that i have on it were, when you were writing in first person did you find yourself stumbling over things because your natural tendency is to write in third person did you do you find yourself shifting back and forth and have to go back and fix it when you were making edit passes or did you did just no. you were locked in mentally and it just all flowed yeah it, i mean granted it's been a few years since i've looked at that story but at the time there was nothing that felt awkward or not right or i had to make adjustments in order to adapt to telling it in first instead of third it was the same as any other story that I'm telling that I, when I can see the, 
character or feel the character, then I know how that character is feeling. And those feelings then become articulated as language. And in this case, because it was so personal to that character, the whole I this, I that, it just was there. It was all part of the story. And never once was it like, and it felt like it should have been a she instead. When you were talking about alternating between first person and third person, I have, I remember the first time I saw that it just, it just really jumped out at me and I didn't know whether I liked it or not. And I, I found from a, from a story perspective, I got used to it. I see it a decent amount of times now and it doesn't bother me. One thing that does bother me, and you mentioned this as well, is going from first person to first person with different points of view. That, you know, it'll it'll be like chapter one, Jamie, chapter two, uh, Frank kind of thing. Right. And and that, that I really have a hard time wrapping my brain around that. But I do find that with the switching point of view characters from first person to third as a reader, I don't get as engaged with the primary character, and I'm less likely to want to get the next book in the series. That's really interesting. See, I, I don't have enough experience with reading broadly to have come up with that. Like, I, I, I never even thought about that, but it makes perfect sense. I, I think also, because I have to play devil's advocate, and I'll try and argue the other side, mm-hmm. that I... Um, I can see a way that I would maybe do a first person, third person switch. And that would be if I was dealing with two separate timelines, for example, one that takes place in present day and the secondary timeline, which is smaller and doesn't carry as much story page time would be maybe 200 years ago or something like research or, you know, an archaeologist is discovering something and then you want to tell the story of that part of the discovery, I could see that being then switched to third person to differentiate present from past, but only as sort of a secondary storyline, not like equals in in story weight and story page time. Like sometimes you'll get these stories where they're stories within a story, but the the within part is as big or even bigger as the part that's wrapping it all up. Mm -hmm. In those, I might personally struggle with the switch from one to the next. But if like 70% of the story was told in first person and in present time, and then the 30% was 200 years ago, and you're learning about someone else or some other scenario, then that was in third person, I can I could see myself doing something like that because I wouldn't feel like it would throw the reader out of the story quite so much because of the timeline jump. Like it would be obvious that that's what's happening and it wouldn't feel like you're being jolted back and forth. And I don't, as, as a, and I've seen that before in, in like um, some occult type stories where there's uh, like Haunted House or something like that. Mm-hmm. where there's a history of the house and something that happened a hundred years before that kind of thing, where the, yeah, the main sense. character is first person and the historical stuff is third person. Um, but I don't, I don't find personally as a reader, I don't, it's not jarring to me. I'm, I'm used to it now for the first person slash third person thing. I don't find it jarring, but it doesn't bind me to the character. As, as I said earlier, 
right. as well. And there are there are I I could probably think of dozens of series where within the first three chapters, I love this character and I want to go anywhere with them kind of thing. And yeah. you can you can write 30 books and I'm there. I'm there for all of them. I don't care about the story. I just want to to hang out with the character kind of thing. And right. I don't it's it's a lot harder to do with I I don't know. I'm I'm I I can't think of any examples of my own um where that's happened to me with third person. Um uh, but something else I, I I would like to talk about while we're on this topic and that is genre expectations. Like w- okay. it would be it seems to me like it would be odd to have a thriller that was written in first person. Is that true? Is that a true statement? I I don't know because I'm so poorly read. Uh I think that the standard expectation for thrillers just because it's just the way that it is, is third person, but I'm certain that there must be first person thrillers out oh, I'm there. Su- I'm sure there are, but I just for, in, in terms of genre expectations, if I pick up a thriller, I'm going to assume that it's third person, at least more than one point of view, just to help amp up the tension, if, if nothing else, yeah, to show would... the bad stuff that's happening on the other side of the room. Yeah. Thrillers are very difficult to write single point of view because there's so much usually going on um, behind the scenes or elsewhere that the only way to show it is through another character's point of view. And I think that I'm probably not alone in feeling that, at least for this genre, multiple points of view told in first person is just going to be a nightmare. And so for that reason... I would suspect that most thriller authors don't. Yeah, I, don't, I know I've never seen view. that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think anything epic, like multi-generational, uh, epic science fiction, anything like that is going to require third person because the first person is so limiting in terms of that one character's life. Unless you're doing multi-character first mm-hmm. person, you know, which again is a bit of an issue. So, but I think that, for example, romance or uh, humor, romantic comedy, or um, maybe even cozies would all be very well suited for first person storytelling. Because... It allows, I think that first person allows the character's voice to come through even stronger because it's just right there. It's, they're almost like in first person, it's almost like the character is talking to you, the reader and telling you the story personally. And so when you have like a romantic comedy or something that's light that allows that character's sense of humor or worldview to come through in a way that's not so intense that it it's almost like gut clenching that's really well suited for first person because you can laugh with it when something is really intense and that person is telling you this is happening to me then it can almost make it too intense i think and i'm just again just riffing right off the top of my head as i'm thinking about this and i could be completely wrong what i would really love 
is if any of our listeners are authors who've chosen to write first person, multiple point of view in any genre, I would just absolutely love to understand the reasons behind your choices because I don't understand it myself. And the only way to see what I'm not seeing is to hear from somebody who's done it because I can't imagine anyone who's done that has not thought it through and, and thought, okay, here's why. And I want to understand that why, because it's going to open up a whole new world for me of like, Oh, so if you're out there and if you're listening and you've written books like that, first point, first person, multiple point of view, please. I don't even have, I won't, I can keep it private. I don't even have to read it on air or anything like that. I want to know for myself and just tell me this is for you only. I don't want it on the show. And, and that's as far as it will go. If you're willing for it to go on the show, then tell me that too. And then I can include it as part of this conversation. But I really want to understand that because it's not something that I would personally choose. So I want to understand why someone else would. All right. So that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you guys for listening. Wait, 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 wait. One final thing. Um, if anyone who's written wants to tell me why they chose the point of view or like the decisions that went behind first, third, second, whatever, the decisions that went behind how many points of view to write the story in, I want to hear it. I want to hear from other people on why they made the decisions that they made, because all I have is my own. And, and I'm so curious about what other people's processes are like. It doesn't matter if you've been published. doesn't matter if you've self-published. None of that matters. I just want to hear from you on what your choices are and, again, and, and why those choices were made. And, again, I don't have to read it on there. It can be just between you and me. Let me know if it's okay to read it on there to continue this conversation. But I just, I'm curious. I want to know. So let me know. All right. And with that, that we are, we are finished with this week's show. So thank you guys for listening. We will be back with you again next week. Thanks for being here, guys. See you next week.